It all sounded like, here is my product. It is the answer that you need. The answer to what though? They were dancing all around that word that they're afraid to say. Problem. The leap from describing to story feels kind of mysterious. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marian Abrams. This is the show for you if you're a content creator, content strategist, or an entrepreneur or brand working to design effective content. Today, I'm talking to Beth Nyland and Jill Pollock from Story Mode. How do you get from describing to story to engaging your listener? We've talked to Jeff Gomez. We've talked to Chris Brogan. And today, Beth and Jill. Thank you for joining me on Grounded Content. You both are the founders, the people behind story mode. What are the most common things you see people doing wrong when they try to tell stories in a business mode? I think that if Beth and I talk a little bit, we will be able to find alignment on the integrated solutions that we like to find for those best in class practices that are tough to, you know, tie down. You're hurting me. I was going to say, like, I don't know what any of that means. Because <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. And that is the oh, biggest yes. mistake that we see in a business setting is people trying to sound important and using big, vague, empty, stupid words to say things that actually could be stated so simply and colorfully and in an interesting way. Why do you think that happens? I think people want to sound smart and they end up sounding vacuous. And then after enough people especially those above you start talking that way, you think, oh, well, that's how you're supposed to talk at work. And, you know, one of our clients cannot say alignment enough and we rib them constantly because what does alignment even mean? You know, it's just nuts. It's so nuts. I've started saying alignment and transparency. You know, alignment is when you get your tires aligned. Or when you go to the chiropractor and they take care of your spine, that's good alignment. So let's talk about you have a business or you are an entrepreneur or a solo business or you even work in the content department. Where do you start to get good story? You always start with the audience and the outcome in mind. So telling a story sounds like this luxurious, leisurely pastime. When we do it for business, We're doing it for purpose. So you have to know what do you want at the end of the story? What do you want to have happen? And so making something happen means knowing who you need to reach and what you want them to do. How do they feel right now? How do you want them to feel when the story is done so that they will feel compelled to take action? I want to stress the emotion because we often feel like, oh, I'm at work. There's no emotion. I have to make a decision. Just give me data. But nothing could be further from the truth. So stories are a wonderful way to build the right emotion that you're going for. In terms of why that works, if there are any real neuroscientists out there, please correct me. But we all know our brains have two halves. One half deals with Google Maps and the other half deals with stories. And that's the half I call Story Center. And there has been some wonderful experiments around this concept. There's a guy named Dr. Paul Zak, and you can find him on YouTube. He did a wonderful animated explanation of his experiment. In a nutshell, he basically proved that when you tell a good story, 
And that means it has to have good details and it has to have some imagery and emotion. It raises two hormones. One is cortisol, which again, neuroscientists shut your ears. I call that the pee and flea hormone. But cortisol is the thing that makes us take action. The other hormone is oxytocin, which is like the feel-good drug or the empathy drug. So think about it. When you tell a good story at work, you're having somebody agree with you, feel good about what you're saying, and even their own brain chemistry is encouraging them to take action. This is the why we should tell stories, and this is sort of the framework around what we need them to do. But I feel like for people like me, it's a very mysterious leap to get from there to actually having a story. So here's an example. I'm giving a presentation at a podcasting conference, and I'm going to be talking about how you use data to understand what your audience wants. I know that this would be a much better presentation if I could tell some stories, and I know that I want my audience to stay engaged and listen to the data that I'm going to share and the insights I'm going to share. How do I get from there to the story? So when they walk into the room, how do you think they're going to feel about your subject matter? Before you start talking, what's their predisposition toward your subject matter? I would say on the one hand, you know, there's hundreds of breakout rooms and they've chosen this one. So they do have a certain interest in it. It's a podcasting conference, so they're already there. I would guess that most people would feel somewhat confused or intimidated by the idea of looking at their data or maybe think it would be boring. But again, I don't know because they have picked to come in there. Yeah, I think those are fair guesses. And often in a business setting, we don't know our audience really well. We know who they are, but we may not know everything that makes them tick. So instead, we have to make some leaps and we're human. So that helps us to do that. Let's just say they're going to walk in. They're curious. So you want to tell some stories then that help move them on that emotional journey. And so you do need to be a bit dazzling. You probably want to demystify if they're feeling intimidated but curious. You want to demystify. So it means you need to tell a story that simplifies what you're going to describe. And that means choosing details, which is where Jill is absolutely prepared to jump in. I, I can see on your face, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to most questions in life, details, the right details. You know, and when you think about data, when you are analyzing data, what are you looking for? You're looking, what's the story these numbers are telling me? Because looking at numbers on a chart is meaningless. It goes to that Google Maps side of our brain. But when you start to explain what that percentage means and what that part of the pie means... Now I'm starting to get it and I'm starting to pay attention. So details mean you're talking about something specific. Data and how to use data to market your podcast is not specific. So make it specific. Tell me about one story, one client or one experience you had where you looked at the data and it surprised you and it said, oh my gosh, more people like dogs than cats. Boom, I know where I'm going. So details are to a good story as specifics are to a good argument. How do you help people get from the, here's what I need to convey, to actually having stories? It's like a mysterious leap, right? It's actually not. 
There's an author named Jonathan Gottschall, and several years ago, he wrote a book called The Storytelling Animal. He's not alone in making this argument that we are born with storytelling DNA. We were working with some people just this morning, and one thing that we noticed in the stories, they were marketers, so they were telling marketing stories. There was no tension in some of what we heard. It all sounded like here is my product. It is the answer that you need. The answer to what, though? They were dancing all around that word that they're afraid to say. Problem. A good story is about conflict. It's about tension. It's about something going wrong. And then the discovery that it can be right. You know, I also think it takes a certain amount of what I call creative confidence you know, a little bit of belief in yourself that you really do know how to do this. And, you know, I always go back to, well, what are you going to say to somebody if you sit across the table from them? That's where we use regular, simple language. That's where we let metaphors and similes pour out of us without even thinking. That's where we tell stories and that's where we listen to stories. That is how we build relationships. I think everything applies when you are at work. So that marketing meeting that you just told me about, how did you get them? What was the next step? They all shared these sort of pitches almost that didn't have any kind of problem. Then what happens? We annoyed the stories out of them. One of the questions that we ask relentlessly is, could you say that again, but with different words? Or what does that mean? Could you try that again? We're constantly asking people to reframe and retranslate or, you know, reinterpret their own stories with different words. We often are ignorant. And even when we are not ignorant about the subject matter, we act as if we are so that we can coax a different version of the story out of people. And sometimes I never have to act ignorant, <laughs> by the way. Sometimes we just have to coax them to say it six or seven different times until they get the right details. And we also use two questions all the time. It's a workshopping technique that we use to help people make their stories better. So if you tell me a story, then I can workshop it by just telling you, okay, I listened and what sticks with me is, and then I would tell you what's still sticking in my brain. So what sticks is the first question. And then the second question we can answer together is, what are the opportunities? So now that you've told me your story in this form, here is a gap where I felt like you maybe missed a point, or if you just gave me one more detail, it would make more sense. Or better yet, now that you've told me that section of the story, here's what I'm curious about where you could go next. So those two questions, what sticks and what are the opportunities, are huge in helping people improve their stories. So this is so interesting because what I realize is how universal these principles are. When I used to interview for documentary, one of the key things is to just ask the same question again and again, because people will answer it differently every time. And then when you're editing, it's the same idea. It's like, tune in to where's the interesting part? Where did it grab my attention? And where did it lose my attention? I guess, in a way, Jill, we are interviewers of storytellers. I think so. Yeah, helping to pull their stories out. Sure. Also, I just want to make it clear that nobody else has ever thought of these concepts. These are completely original. <laughs> I only could say that because I stole them from you guys. <laughs> 
you know, there aren't that many new concepts to help teach someone how to tell a better story. So it's not always what you're saying, but it is always how you're saying it. So that's interesting because, of course, there are a lot of story experts, and this may go back to your abbreviation, C-R-A-P. There are a lot of so-called story experts who are making it sound very complicated and difficult and actually confusing people with these ridiculous frameworks or whatever they call them. I hate frameworks. I don't even like the classic story arc. You know, everybody should tell a story differently. Stories do have to have certain components. They have to have details. There has to be some sort of tension or conflict. And people don't freak out when you hear the word conflict. It can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing, an opportunity. One of the folks who used to teach for me, a guy named Baird Harper, wonderful fiction writer, go look him up. He once said to me, fiction is when a routine is broken. A great story takes place when something has changed. And if you want to think about that in a business context, we are always telling stories or trying to persuade someone when something has changed or when we want something to change. So it needs to have details and it needs to have conflict. What about the ending? Does it need to like wrap up in a bow? How does it need to end? You know, endings are interesting. In a business situation, you know, when we teach presentation skills, like, you know, how to pitch, you want to give them the ending right at the beginning. You want them to picture, you are so awesome, you won. In a fiction sense, endings are fine, but it's much more interesting when an ending is a little bit ambiguous, because then me as the reader or the listener, I get to help make up this story. And that's what's fun. We want to be a part of the conversation. We're all very self-centered. You know, we want the world to revolve around us. And so that's why when we start a storytelling exercise, when we work with someone on a story, we begin with the audience. Because if you stay fixed on that as your center, you'll have a much greater chance of telling a story that connects. When the two of you walk out on stage for a presentation, how do you grab attention? How do you start? We almost always begin by asking the audience to tell us something or to do something. It's about them. Can you give me an example? One of our old standbys is tell us what you do at work, not what your title is, but tell us what you do. And it's such a brilliant question to start out a conversation about story because people who feel a little freedom to have a little bit of fun there, they'll give you a metaphor. Somebody said this morning, I am the coordinator of chaos. I don't know what that means, but I want to know. And that means I'm going to engage this person in conversation. And selfishly, because a little of it is about us, that opening gives us an opportunity to share what our job titles are, which are very alternative. Mine is the corporate poet and cutter of crap. And Jill is chief story wrangler. I love those both. I especially love Cutter of Crap. Thank you. I do, too. I do, too. And it's fun for me to say it begs explanation, which means we're about to have a conversation because I've given you just enough detail, but not quite enough detail that now we need to have a conversation. And that's what a good story should do. So we do often ask people, tell us what you do, but don't tell us your job title because it doesn't really say anything. Make up a new title or tell us a story about what you do. 
And then the ball is rolling. I love that. So what about when you're not face-to-face? When you are writing a script or writing a paper, a white paper, a blog post, those kinds of things with your clients, how do you work with them to get a great story in those formats? Jill, do you want to take that one? Sure. Here's a little shameless plug. Not quite 20 years ago, I started a creative writing school called Story Studio Chicago. We're now a nonprofit and I don't run it, but it's awesome. If you want to take a creative writing class, storystudiochicago.org. You can cut that if you need to. (laughs) No, no, I'll leave it in. I was going to write it down. (laughs) One of the reasons why Beth and I work so well together is nobody knows more about corporate communications than her. She really understands how corporations work and how they communicate. I sort of maybe do. What I understand is stories and how to teach story writing. And no matter who my audience is, I'm going to use those strategies that I built teaching fiction writers and memoirists, people who are dying to tell their story, but they're absolutely terrified. You know, how do you get them started? And it's baby steps. Beth and I will almost always start every session with a creative writing prompt. Because I think with art, you know, it's hard to say, okay, right now it's 11 o'clock, I'm going to create my art. We have to find our way into that space. And often for us, a creative writing prompt is a great way to do it. So we use time pressure. Everything Jill just said, plus we set a three-minute timer. So it's quick. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid, only it doesn't hurt at all, actually. So for instance, this morning, our prompt was, I thought it would be easy. And we tell everyone in the room, write that down, start with that. Then wherever your brain goes, tell us a little story on the page. We encourage writing longhand with pen and paper. It makes the writing a kinetic, energetic exercise where their whole body is involved. So we start with something that's unbusinesslike, like I thought it would be easy. And once they experience how easy that is, then we take the same principles and we apply them to your business story. So set a timer for three minutes, write what you know about your business situation or the pitch that you need to make. And then we workshop that and it's like the ball is rolling and we just have to chase it. What would be the next step? You know, I've figured out the things I need to do. I need to think about my audience. I need to think about what it is that I want them to feel or do at the end. I need to take the pressure off and just kind of be creative, let something out, let it flow. And then I need to ask what sticks. But I still feel like there's a missing piece. I still feel like, and maybe I think there's some magical thing about story that doesn't exist, but I feel like there's another piece to getting from explaining to story? There is, and it's called editing. I once had a business writing student in one of my classes, and you know, I had him write a first draft, and then we started talking about editing to get to a second draft, and she said, I didn't know I was allowed to write a second draft. Oh, ouch. No masterpieces come out as a first draft, and that is something people need to learn or be reminded of. You get your messy draft out there and you see what you have and then you understand how to sculpt it. One of the biggest benefits we bring is teaching you how to identify where those golden nuggets are and how to use them. So 
really, Marion, the only thing you skipped is the editing and sculpting step. Can I tell you, you are the second guest I've had on the show to use the term golden nuggets. Really? They must have gotten it from us. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they did. So I think you have a brainstorming process. We do. You want to know that too? My goodness. (laughs) I think the more that people hear of you, the more they will want to hear from you. Well, then we'll say everything. Buckle up. So yes, we do have a brainstorming technique. The technique is this. When you're brainstorming, don't stop short. Don't just look for 10 or 12 or 15 ideas because those are the same dozen ideas any person could come up with. And also, don't set a goal so lofty that you want your team to come up with 100 ideas because that volume has a paralyzing effect. It's too hard. It feels too challenging. And your brain kind of shuts down before it even gets started. Through trial and error, I found myself when brainstorming even alone, if I reach for 39 ideas, I can always do it, sometimes with a bit of effort and a little struggle, but I always come up with something unique and workable, often 10 or 12 unique and workable ideas. And so we use this principle. We now call it the power of 39. We should trademark it probably. And we use it almost every day. Teams use it. Individuals use it. And they always bust into innovative territory. When you find 10 or 12 out of the 39, are they usually the last 12 or the first 12 or the middle 12? Usually in the middle, quite often as you start to get closer to 39, they get a little ridiculous and outrageous, which is really fun. So sometimes the groups will decide, okay, we've already hit 39, but we're having such a good time. Let's keep going. And so some of those get so outlandish, maybe they're not workable, but in the middle, there is a sweet spot. Plus, we're always telling people, you have to go for the outlandish. If you stay in the safe zone, then you're never going to find innovative territory. So we encourage people, get silly. You know, if you come up on your 39 list and one of the items is skywriting, well, no, we're not going to skywrite, but you could use that as an icon. You could make a little animation. You know, almost any idea can be tinkered with and transformed into something usable. So could I challenge you? I just came up with a challenge. Oh, dear. I would love for the three of us to come up with 39 potential titles for this episode. (laughs) Wow. Here's an easy one. Fun with Beth and Jill. That's one. They got that from us. I'm laughing so hard I couldn't hear what they said. Story freaks. (laughs) How about not everyone knows how to tell a story? Story brilliance. Get yourself some creative confidence. Get in story mode, which is one of our handles, I guess. Why the number 39 matters. That's good. Our hashtag is refuse to be boring. So you could use that. Refuse to be boring. All right, that's 10. How would you tell it? Questions are awesome. I won't talk about the science, but they're awesome. I love that. Is that a title? Questions are awesome. I won't talk about the science, but they're awesome. It is. Maybe that's two. Questions are awesome. And I won't talk about the science. (laughs) All right, we're at 13 if that's two. Although I kind of like one. Stories and science. Stories in the brain. Good. You can so be creative at work. Just say what you mean. 
I was going to say cut the crap, but we really haven't defined crap. We haven't. We have to do that because you alluded to it earlier. I did. So then that will count. So that'll be we're at 18. Okay. I always imagine that I'm yelling at my listener. That's how I frame it. I mean, I don't really imagine that, but I was explaining to one of the people that I mentor how to do self-helpy titles. And so imagine the active voice. So it's like, learn how to write a story. There you go. Or learn how to tell a story, you know. Make stories work for you. Right. That's 20. Effective communications. Oh, all right. That's <laughs> counts. It's 21. Integrated solutions in storytelling. That counts too. Writing right. Ooh, that's good. Kicking A-S-S or A dash dash with story. Yes. Can you not say ass? I just chose oh, not okay. to. I don't know. I don't want to offend anyone. She's nice. And I probably wouldn't put it on YouTube or I probably would put A dash dash. You can't learn this stuff on YouTube. No, you can't. Let's, you can't learn this stuff on a podcast. I think that's even better. Listen closely. So that's 27. Don't listen. That's 28. Don't be boring. Oh, grounded story. Oh, that's, that's good. All right. We're at 30. We need nine more. Story sisters. Aw. Ooh, I like that. There's a story for that. Did we already use that? No. Did you hear about? Ooh, I like that. All right. We're at. 33. Let me tell you a story. Nice. You can't do that at work, can you? Oh, that's good. Ooh, that's pretty good. All right, we only need four more. Skywriting for your business. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. You know, I'm thinking about like stories turn work into play. Stories turn work into play, okay. Which is much better than what I was thinking because I was thinking dancing the tango story. Wow. I don't know what it means, but I'll put it I down. We only need one more. So see what I mean about as you get closer to 39, they get a little unworkable. We need one. One more. One more. Um, it's got to be the best one. I'm putting a lot of pressure. Business writing 101. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? I think that might be it, actually. Stories <laughs> that sell. It was a program that we used to oh, produce. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's probably been in the like. It has. In the marketing world, right? Win the room is my personal favorite. Win the room? Yeah. We use that a lot, especially when we're doing presentation training, because that's what you're going for. You want to yeah. win the hearts and minds of everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. So that was number 40 or 41, but I might use it. You might as well. Another spin we take on that one is own the room, which puts the emphasis on the confidence part of it. So Win puts the emphasis on the audience. Own puts the emphasis on the speaker. So I'm trying to think about my audience here. And there's probably fewer of them that are thinking about a presentation, like in, in a business environment, like in a boardroom or something, but more about either they're an executive that has to make videos and they need to tell stories for that, or they're some other kind of content creator or content strategist are there differences in how you tell the story in that context when you don't have eye contact and you don't have that immediate feedback? You know, I love when people come to us and they have to tell a story in a different medium, because while the construction and makeup of a story is the same, no matter where you're telling it, each new medium gives you different opportunities. You know, the way you talk on Instagram Live is going to be different than when you're standing in a ballroom is going to be totally different than... TikTok, which is different than YouTube. So I think that's fun. 
you can take one piece of content and repurpose it in a hundred million different ways. And each of those repurposements. Did you just make that up? <laughs> I like that word. I'm going to use no, that no. word. That's um, such a better word than I've ever used it's for that. not. This is the second time I've a word. I want to swear about that word. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I really like this word. I have a whole episode about creating repurposements. <laughs> and I may have to go and, and update it. Well, you know it works <laughs> because the audience is different and the medium is different. You know, I did this last time, too, when we were doing an interview late in the day. I forgot what the word was, but these weird words <laughs> pop out. <laughs> And one of the things that I actually tell people is that repurposement, one of the Stop one of the it. easiest repurposements is for the love of God is is to tell a story. So I sit here, I talk to you, and actually the easiest way for me to repurpose this interview is to when I'm talking to a client or when I'm talking in a meeting, when I'm talking in an interview, is to say, you know, I talked to Beth and Jill the other day and they told me a really different way of looking at story. And this is what it is. That's repurposing content. It doesn't have to require editing and technology. And Jill, that's second story. That's something that you talk about all the time. So when somebody tells you a story, you can't help it. Your brain can't help it. It starts thinking of a story of your own or you're in a certain context and it reminds you of something. And that's what you're describing. You're talking to somebody and it reminds you of that experience you had and you are compelled to tell a story. A lot of what we do is give people permission to do what comes naturally. I like to push people even further and help them make a complete and total fool of themselves, which I obviously do all the time. You know, when you feel that creative freedom and you're not editing everything that comes out of your mouth, we are all geniuses in our own way. And it's really just a matter of feeling the freedom to be able to share something you've never shared before. If on my gravestone, it said, she built my creative confidence, I will have lived a good life. I love that. Just repurposement that. Right. Let's repurposement. Okay. Since you both keep saying repurposement, I have to tell you. I really like it. It's going to become part of my vocabulary. <laughs> it's crap. And, I, and by the way, I have a lot of opportunities to use that term. You mustn't. Crap stands for... I will. You put TM after you oh use it. Oh, my God, you too. I will credit you. Yeah. Crap stands for... So, yes, for, what does crap stand yes, for? Please, on message, on message. Crap stands for corporate rhetoric and pomposity. And it's that language that people put on when they step through the real or virtual doors of a workplace and they think they need to sound important or blend in to sound like everybody else. And we start speaking a language that is business only. It's not what you would use at the bar with your friends. It's not what you would use at the table with your kids. I don't know why it happens, except that I think people want to sound important and they want to fit in. And that puts up this barrier that prohibits understanding. Yeah. And I feel like when people do that, a lot of the time I say, what do you mean? And I don't think they know what they mean. Yes. Yeah, you're so right. True. Go do a search for integrated solutions. Just Google integrated solutions and look at the variety of industries that come back in your search results. Everybody's got them. But couldn't something actually be an integrated solution? Sure. Sure. But that's that generic undetailed term that doesn't really tell me, but okay, what are you selling me? What do I get from you? So what would you give 
as advice for really grabbing people's attention and keeping people's attention. So let me put it in this framework. I work with a lot of podcasters. And one of the things we look at is basically retention. So did somebody stay listening from the beginning till the end? And I imagine that great storytelling is probably the best way to keep people to the end. How would you advise someone to do that? One of the things I I teach is this concept of giving information and withholding information. You want somebody to stick with you, you give them enough information to make it about them, to make it super interesting, but you're withholding that one last golden nugget and they're going to stick around because they want to hear how the story ends. And my thought is, this is a new concept that just came to me. The notion of story hospitality. So think about when you go to visit someone's home. If they're having a good time and you're having a good time, it's a good visit. So as a storyteller, be hospitable. Have a good time yourself and be sure that your guest or your audience is having a good time as well. It has to be two-way. As a storyteller, I need to be enjoying myself so that my enthusiasm can be infectious to you. And I also need to be mindful of how are you responding? If I just stand up and have a good time telling my own story and I ignore you all together, that's not really a conversation, is it? So story hospitality. I mean, it's too late. I've either been hospitable or not at this point. (laughs) But the golden nugget, I'm going to go back and I'm going to drop something in the intro so that we can keep people engaged waiting for this golden nugget. What should I say at the beginning to tee this up? We're withholding one piece of information that will put this story together for you. Or, you know what? We just had a really good time. Start listening. If you're having a good time and you're learning something, stick around. Yeah, but I'm supposed to let just enough information out and then withhold and leave them hanging till the end. You know, one thing you did tease at the beginning, close to the beginning, you said C-R-A-P, and we waited until the very end to define it. So that could be your nugget. Jill and Beth talk crap. Yeah, crap. Yeah, there's our title. That was number 42 or something. (laughs) That might be it. Okay, just before we go, tell people about your business and what you could do for them. So Story Mode is a co-production of Beth Nyland and Jill Pollack. We brought our unique perspectives together to create this program to help people bring storytelling and creativity into the workplace because they belong there. So you can find us on instorymode.com. You can find us on LinkedIn as Story Mode, and you can find each of us through our individual LinkedIn and Instagram handles as well. Which of the 39 titles would you have picked? I couldn't decide. That's why I had to make up a whole different title for this episode. But I love that brainstorming process. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Jill. You can find out more about Beth and Jill at their website, instorymode.com. If you want to get the weekly roundup of the ideas we've been working through on Grounded Content, some of the stuff I've been sharing on social media, and some of the great ideas I've been listening to from other people, everything's on the website. Just go to madmotion.com and look around. See you next time.